All right. As we, uh, this fall, we've been talking about um, connect, um, about the church, about relationships. And what we've said so far, if you haven't been here, just so you're caught up, um, we've said that first and foremost, our relationship with God is most important. How we connect with God is most important. We talked about some of the ways we do that. But what we said was that how we connect with God, so our the quality of our relationship with God, the depth of our relationship with God affects how we relate to one another, right? So that, that makes sense, right? If God has really done a change in us, it's going to change how we treat one another. And so we've talked, um, now we're going to talk about the next couple weeks about relationships inside the church. How do we relate to each other now that we are a part of a church? And then we're going to also talk about uh, I don't know when that is, in a few weeks, um, how we relate to those outside the church, those who are, are not um, believers. The last couple weeks, um, we've been talking about some principles for how we relate to each other. Jesus, it says in Scripture, was full of two things. What were they? Grace and truth. One, two, three. Grace and truth, right? It was full of both of them, right? Not just one. Um, and so when we interact with one another... It takes both, right? We are gracious because we're all sinners. Um, we all mess up. We have disagreements. Um, but we don't fudge on the truth, right? We have common ground. And I think my dad said this last week, great one-liner. Uh, truth without grace is just a weapon, right? We're just, we're just attacking with truth. It's got to be spoken in love. So um, now we're going to pick up this week, and, and we're going to talk about some relationships inside the church. Um, and when I say church, let's make sure we're on the same page before we really jump into this. Um, what is the church? Um, let me make sure you understand where I'm coming from. A church is not a building. A church is, is not a Sunday service, in fact. A church is not just a collection of programs um, for kids and youth. A church isn't budgets. A church isn't about politics. A church is not... Um, our little kingdom to exert our power. A church is really not a social club. It's really none of those things. Some of those things are true about a church, but primarily a church is people, right? It's you and I, and it's how we relate to one another. But it's not just any people because there are lots of groups of people that get together on a regular basis. Friday nights, there's a lot of groups of people that get together. Um, a church is a collection of people who have been saved by the grace of Jesus. Amen? Amen? A church is a group of people who know God. That, there's no other reason all of us should be in the same room ever. <laughs> the one unifying factor among all of us is our love for Jesus, hopefully. So we're not just any people. We're not a civic organization, really. We're not primarily a food pantry, a youth program, a children's ministry, a place for people to recover for addiction. We have those things, but that's not primary primary is our relationship with one another and our relationship with God. So we get together. We meet together to worship God, to remind each other of our salvation. But we meet together for this real purpose right here, so that we would grow individually and thus grow collectively, right? Each one of us would grow in our relationship with God, and that would then impact the whole church, the whole church would grow. New people would be added. We would be uh, reaching out in ministries and all sorts of things into the community. And what, what causes that 
is what we're going to talk about today. It's discipleship. So one of the main metaphors used in Scripture to describe the church is that of a body. Let's say body together. Body. Like a, like a human body. Okay? So we're called a body of believers. We're called the body of Christ. Now, I'm not Tammy Hughes. I'm sorry. I meant to, like, get with you this week and get some really cool anatomy facts about how this organ helps this. And I don't know any of that. So I'm kind of clueless today. But what Paul says in Scripture is this, is that a body is made of many parts, right? So we've got fingers, we've got wrists, we've got necks, heads, mouths, internal organs, hearts, legs, muscles, tendons, all sorts of things. And if, um, if you take any one of those parts by itself, it's not a body, right? If I take a finger and we get a bunch of fingers together, that's not a body. That's a bunch of fingers, and you need to talk to somebody about your collection of fingers. Um, <laughs> Kind of creepy, right? But if we get all these parts together, and then we get some connections between them, tendons, muscles, blood vessels, what do we get? We get a body that works and lives and breathes and grows, right? So in the church, it's the same way, right? We're a bunch of different people, and we got a bunch of different skills and abilities and personalities, and we're not all the same, trust me. We are way different But when we have relationships together, we're connected. Does that make sense? When we have a bunch of parts and we connect them together through relationships, then we become a body. Now think about this, the opposite. If we're just a bunch of parts all doing our own thing and there's no connection, you just show up on Sunday, you just, you know, you're just isolated, you're just a body part. You're not part of a body. You're not part of the church. Does that make sense? And so when Paul talks and when Jesus talks about the church, he talks about a body, a bunch of parts connected through relationships. Now, there's all different kinds of relationships within the church. Um, Some of us are related. Some of us are not. There's all sorts of different relationships we won't dive into. But here's what I want to talk about today and I think is most important. The most important relationships in the church are based on discipleship. Okay? Now, hear me out. Um, think about the body. There are, we have a lot of blood vessels. I don't know how long it is. I've always heard that if you took out your intestines and stretched it, stretch across this room or something crazy. I don't know, Tammy, something like that, right? Maybe. Okay. Blood vessels, I imagine if you took them out of your body and stretched them, it'd be miles, right, of blood vessels that take blood to all the different parts of the body. Now, the blood is so important, right, because it gives oxygen, it gives nutrients, I'm sure. It probably does other stuff that I don't even know. Um, I really don't know. I should have researched this more. Now that I stand up here, I think, man, I should have read something about that. But though the blood doesn't exist so that the body will serve it. The blood exists to serve the body. Does that make sense? And when we have relationships that connect us based on discipleship, and here's what I mean by discipleship, helping someone else grow, helping an individual grow in their faith, helping them grow as a body part, so that the whole body will grow. And here's why I say those relationships are most important. It's based on Matthew 28, 19. I don't have it up here. You should know this by heart, hopefully. It's Jesus' last instructions to us. What was it? He said, go and... Whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't hear you. Go and make disciples. Right? That was his last command. It's not really the go. That's kind of secondary. The important part was what? Make disciples. That's who he said we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be 
about. Wherever you go, whoever you meet, whatever you do. So hear me, church. He didn't say, church, go gather a crowd and collect an offering. He didn't say, go, go make a bunch of converts. Just win them to Christ and then let them go. He didn't say, don't just get a bunch of people together and make friends. He didn't say, just go help the poor. He didn't say, just organize fun activities. He didn't say, just get together. The command for us as a church and individuals is to what? Make disciples. Make disciples. Now, this is radical. When you think about the body, you think about the parts, and you think about our relationships. It changes our perspective on our relationships inside the church. Because all of a sudden, we're not just friends that get together every week. Our purpose in being together is to connect. Our purpose in getting together is to help one another grow. The individual parts grow so that the whole body will grow. And it changes our perspective of all of our relationships outside the church. Why we bumped into that person at the store. Why we work with that certain person, right? My purpose is to make disciples, to help them know God, and to help one another grow in that relationship with God. This is how Jesus lived, right? And we see his example. He, he invested his entire life into 12 men. Why did he do that? Because if he just came and lived and died, there might not be ever any, we might write about him in a history book, but because he invested his life in men who would go do the same and men who would go do the same, what he created was multiplication, some of you are looking at the Smith family right now thinking, y'all are multiplying, right? Y'all creating babies, y'all filling the earth. Amen. My dad is excited about that. And Jesus did the same thing with his disciples. He said, go and make disciples. Go and multiply. Go and fill the earth. Make disciples who can make disciples. So I want us to look at two passages of Scripture today. Um, the first is in Ephesians chapter 4. So you can go ahead and flip there. Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 11. In this passage, what Paul is going to talk about, he's basically going to paint the big picture. Here's the ideal. Here's, here's, here's the big picture for the church. Here's what it should look like. Here's goals, kids. This is goals for the church, all right? And then we're going to look at another passage in Acts 2 where Luke writes about what actually was, what the church actually looked like in the New Testament. Both of these, we're going to see two things. And it's what we've talked about with the body so far. We're going to see this, that there is growth in the parts there's growth in these relationships that connect the body parts, and so there's growth in the whole church. You see that? There's growth individually, and there's growth in the relationships, and so there's growth in the whole body. So let's pick up Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, And he, he's talking about Christ or God, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, 
from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's go back to verse 11. We'll just kind of talk about it as we go through. He says, and, and Christ gave, and he lists a bunch of people, prophets and apostles and teachers and shepherds, and we don't have time. If you have questions about that, ask my dad. I don't know about all those, but let's just think leaders. We've, let's think some mature people in the faith. God's given some, some certain people some, some abilities to do what? What was their purpose? We find that in verse 12, he says. And this is the phrase we're going to focus on. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So we've got to think about each one of those phrases real quick, okay? So um, what, what does someone else's translation say instead of equip? Does anybody else say something different? This is a time for feedback. You can talk in church. What does someone else's say? Perfecting. Someone else have something different? Training. Anybody else? So I looked up the word, just like you can do. And um, the word also in other translations can be perfecting, or it can be to become fit. So think about it. God gave these leaders to perfect the saints for the work of ministry. Or um, another translation I read was to help the saints become fit for the work of ministry. So I think the best way to think about this, and it seems like what the word means, is, is like um, a craftsman, right? I've kind of gotten into woodworking over the last couple of years, and what I've realized is I'm not very good until I try something. And I realized that I really don't know anything until I fail at something, amen? I see some fellow woodworkers in the crowd shaking their head. So it's this idea, equipping is becoming fit at a certain trait, or perfecting your skills at a certain trade. Um, we don't really have this system in the United States very much. There are some, uh, I guess, professions that do, like welding or whatever. But this is, this is the idea that a, a master craftsman, what it takes is somebody that's really skilled to take somebody under their wing and show them, okay, man, when you cut this, you want to make sure to measure twice, cut once, right? When you do this, you need to make sure your thumb's not right there. Amen, Fred? You, you need to make sure that when you're doing this, you use this kind of wood and this kind of finish. See, it takes somebody who's a little further along to, to disciple or to apprentice is how we say it, to apprentice the skills necessary to do the job. So we understand that in, a, in, in the physical world, in the job market. It took a long time, Casey and Chris, to learn to weld, right? You had to have somebody show you the ropes and, and how to do certain types of welding. We understand that in the physical world. So what about the spiritual world? What's he talking about here? He's saying that there, there should be men and women further along in the journey who are equipping the saints for the work of ministry, who are training, I think it was that what you said, Glenn, training, who are perfecting the saints for the work of ministry. There's this investment of the older into the younger, of the mature into the immature. So that's what I mean when I say discipleship. Those are the kind of relationships that it takes for the body to grow. You see that? So what, what he's saying here is discipleship is pouring your life into another to help them know God better, to equip them. Now, who is the one being equipped in this phrase? Who is it? This is time for feedback. Who is being equipped? The saints, the body of Christ. Who, so who, 
who are these saints that he's talking about? Because I'm looking around the room, and I know some of you. And I don't know if it's us, right? No, no, that's not what he's talking about at all. This word literally means holy ones, the ones who have been sanctified. Was that us? By the grace of God, right? Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done in our life. He, he has taken us, and because of his sacrifice on the cross, he has sanctified us. That's what that picture is of baptism, right? Of being washed, being cleansed. So who are the saints? It's us. It's the church. It's the individual parts. It's the members of the body, okay? So the saints are being equipped, every member, for what? What are they being equipped for? The work of ministry. For the work of ministry. Um, We think of this backwards. We think the leaders are the ones who do ministry, right? We think the paid staff are the ones who do ministry, but I'm afraid based on this, we really get it wrong. We really get it wrong. It says God's given some people to help the saints do the work of ministry. And what is the work of ministry? I'm not going to fill in all the blanks of that, but I'm going to use Paul's words. He goes on in this. He says, for the building up of the body of Christ. For the building up. That's the work of ministry, building up individual parts, building up individuals and those relationships so that the whole body grows. That's the work of ministry. And whose job is that? It's everybody's. That's radical if we really get that. If we as a church are dependent on four paid staff members to build the church of Jesus Christ, we're in trouble. Amen? We're in trouble because one of them's me and one of them's my dad. <laughs> if, that's, if that's who we're dependent on, of building the body of Christ, we're in trouble. We're only going to have so much reach. But if every one of us is equipped for the work of ministry, then the whole body grows. Let's keep going. I'm, I'm getting bogged down. He, he keeps going. When is the work over? When, when is our job done? And he says, not until we attain the unity of faith. And the knowledge of the Son of God. And really it's this picture, the next one. Until we reach maturity. Mature manhood or womanhood. Okay, you don't have to read. It's not chauvinistic. It's just to mature personhood. Right? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It means that we look more and more like Christ. That as we get older, we don't stay in the same place in our faith. We don't have the same level of faith this year as we had last year. We don't have the same level of um, anything, right? We, we look more and more like Christ. Like, it's amazing when, you, when I see people's kids, right, that I haven't seen in nine months or two years. Man, that kid's growing up. That kid's walking now. That kid's eating solid food. Like, Hudson has just blown up these last couple of weeks. Not his body, his, like, abilities. He can walk. He can, he can babble a little bit. Like, he's just crazy. He can do so much. And that's this picture, right? That we would grow up into maturity. The individual parts are meant to grow. The relationships are meant to grow. And the end result is down in the end in verse 16. Verse 16. It says, when each part, the very end, he says, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When each part is growing, 
the whole, and the relationships and the connections are strong and supplied and helping one another, then the whole thing grows. I mean, this hit me this week. Um, man, Diego was sharing a story this morning in our life group about God just telling him to go to a place and, and just, I, he didn't really know what was there. It's kind of like Abraham. He's just going. He knows God's got something for him there. And he goes and he gets to have these conversations with these people and share, share the gospel and see God do some amazing things. It makes me think of this, right? That if Diego had not been obedient, those 10 people or 20 people that you got to interact with and share the gospel with, they might never have heard, right? And that's what this makes me think of. If, if I'm not serving my part of the body, then the whole body suffers, right? Anybody ever stubbed a toe in here? Anybody ever uh, got a paper cut on your finger? Seems so in- insignificant, right? But a stubbed toe can keep you down, right? It's no different. If one part of the body is not serving its function, then the whole body suffers. I don't want to be the part of this body that keeps people from knowing Christ. I don't want to be the part of this body that keeps people from growing in their relationship with Christ. And I don't want that for you. When we're not growing individually, when we're not being obedient individually, when we're not investing in others individually, the whole body suffers. All of us. See, this is the picture. When the individual parts are growing and other parts are investing in them through relationships, then the whole body grows. We see another example. Turn to Acts 2. Acts 2. So in Ephesians, Paul's writing, here's, here's the goal. Here's the big picture. Here's what I want you to be. But we know that the church is, is never perfect because it's made up of imperfect people, right? The church will never be perfect. But we get a picture of, of the early church in Acts 2, of what they were about. Now, sometimes we read this and we think, man, they had it all together. If we could just be like them, then we would, we would be perfect. No, because we're made up of a bunch of sinners. But they had issues. That's why all these letters were written to them, because they had issues and they needed to be dealt with. But they got some things right in Acts 2. And here's, here's Luke's description of what the early church looked like in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you see the picture? They're doing these things. They're devoted to certain things. They're they're devoted to being together. They're devoted to these relationships. And what happens in the end? Because there's individual growth, because their relationships are strong, there's collective growth. The whole body grows. Now, the Lord is the one who gives the growth. So I'm not saying that we can engineer all these circumstances and do everything right and our church will just blow up. And No. God's the one that gives the growth. God's the one that changes people's hearts. But we got to be honest, 
They did some things that are really important in verse 42. Let's start there. What, what was it that led to their growth individually? And what was it that led to their growth corporately? Verse 42. Four things. There's probably more, but this is what Luke says in 42. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What's the apostles' teaching? What is it? The gospel. God's word. Right? Their, their time together was not just, uh, not just being together. It wasn't just watching the Aggies almost beat Alabama. That's good, but it's not enough. If it's not centered on God's word, it's not discipleship. It's not me investing in someone else. Um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They knew God's word. They thought God's word. They lived God's word. Not only that, it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. What does is, what is someone else's uh, translation say? Anybody? Is it all fellowship? Nothing else? Fellowship? Is that, is that what you got? Okay, the fellowship of breaking the bread. This word fellowship is, is way more than a covered dish lunch. <laughs> That's what we used to call a fellowship, right? Getting together after church, eating meals, right? This fellowship is, is a deep word. It's, a, it's intentional relationship. That's how I'd say it. It's intentional relationship. It's not just we were all in the same room and we were all together. It's way more than that. It's, it's deep. It's, it's, it's this, almost this spiritual word, right, that, that I know you and you know me. It's, it's deep, right? They were devoted to God's word and they were devoted to being intentionally together, Right? It goes on. How else did they grow? <laughs> Baptists will love this one, right? It says, to the breaking of bread. And some of you, amen, right? Amen. We don't really break bread anymore. We slice it, but um, that wasn't in my notes. Some of you may go, well, does that refer to the, Lord, the Lord's Supper? Is that just, I think it's something more. I think it's way more than just quarterly Lord's Supper, right? I think it's because it talks about it later on, how they were breaking bread in their homes. They were sharing life and sharing food and everything together. Right? One of the ways we grow and those relationships are strong is going to lunch together. I know that sounds so simple. It's, it's inviting people over for meals. Because what's shared in food, if it's intentional, there's something way more shared. There's life and there's, there's connectedness, right? Is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to being intentionally together and sometimes around food, and they were also devoted to prayer. Um, I've had a, I had a good ministry friend, and uh, he, he told me the other day, he said, one of the best measures of a church, the health of a church, is how often its members meet together just to pray. Its members invite each other, hey, can we get together and pray? And he said that, and I thought, whew. I don't, I don't know. When was the last time you were invited by someone to just get together and pray? Or you had a phone call with somebody just to pray, right? That, that, that is one of the four things that Luke lists. That's what they were devoted to. They were devoted to prayer together. And when was the last time we did these things with one another? We gathered around God's word. We were intentional about our time together. Maybe we ate something. Maybe we prayed together. That's it. 
That's what the picture of discipleship is. That's the picture of these relationships that are helping other people grow. And I believe, I believe if we were really about those things, we would see individuals grow, we'd see those relationships grow, and we would see the church grow. See, that's what discipleship is, is helping others grow. But we have to ask that question. If I'm not growing individually, am I hindering this body or another body from growing? If I'm not growing individually, if my relationships and my connectedness to others my investment in others is not strong. Am I hindering someone else's walk with Christ? I don't, I don't want to be a barrier in the way. I don't want to be disobedient and keep a student or keep a friend from growing closer to Christ, right? I don't want to be that. And if we're not growing corporately, if we're not seeing people come to Christ, if we're not seeing people get saved, if we're not seeing people raised up into ministry, if we're not seeing people um, go out in evangelism, if we're not seeing people pray, we got to look to those two things. Are we growing individually? And are our relationships strong? Because if they're not, there's a good place to start. See, here's the reality. If we don't have a culture of discipleship, if we don't have a culture of one mature investing in someone less mature, if we don't have a culture of helping other people grow, if we don't have a culture of this, then we're not going to exist as the body of Christ. We're not going to exist as the church God intended to be in this place. We may make it one generation, but it's not going to go past that. It's not going to go past that. This church will be hindering the growth of God's kingdom in Huntington, Texas. If we don't have a culture of discipleship, if we don't have a culture of investing in the younger, and investing in the less mature, we may be, we, we, this building may be here. There may be people that gather here. But the church won't exist as it was intended to be. It may be a bunch of individuals. It may be a social club. It may be a fun place to be, but it won't be a place full of disciples making disciples. And that's what Jesus charged us with. That's what discipleship is. I don't think it's really that complicated. Um, let's look quickly, just to finish out our time together, at what, what discipling looks like. What does it look like to invest in someone else? What does it look like to actually do this, to pour your life into someone else, to help them grow? Um, there's lots of different examples in Scripture we could look at. We're not going to go and study them necessarily today. Um, first, I'll say this. Family is the ideal. It's where we start. That's why God set up the family. God set up male and female to marry, have kids, fill the earth. That, that's the main place it should happen. So parents, some of you are thinking, how am I supposed to disciple somebody? I'm just chasing, chasing three kids to ball games and to this, and we're just trying to get dressed in the morning, trying to put food on the table at the end of the day. Look up. They're right there. They're right there in front of your kids. And your main job as a parent, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself because I'm about to enter into this, your main job as a parent is to disciple those kids to love Jesus. That's your main job. Yes, you've got to put food on the table. Yes, you've got to do all those other sorts of things. You're whatever, let me say this. The culture tells us we've got to raise superstar athletes. We've got to raise scholars in the classroom. We've got to raise scholarship-level uh, kids. And we've got to raise all these excellent citizens of the United States. And those are, can be good things. 
But if those take priority over helping your kids know Jesus, then you've really missed the point as a Christian parent. And I'm preaching that to future me, okay? I know I'm not there yet. I'm preaching that to future me. What's most important is raising our kids to be disciples of Jesus. Let me also say this, husbands, fathers, this is you too. Amen? Amen? Uh, In my dealings with youth, in my dealings with their parents, I don't know, I don't have numbers on this, but I would guarantee 80% of the time who I talk to if I have an issue with a kid and I need to talk to their parents, who do I talk to? The mom. That's sad. And I've just kind of accepted that, that I'm going to talk to the mom and not to the dad. I don't want it to be that way, men. Right? I don't want this culture of the mom is the spiritual one and the dad is kind of disengaged spiritually. The dad is, is there at ball games and providing and he's not beating their kids or anything like that. The dad's there, but the dad's not this. I don't, I don't want that to be our culture, right? Fathers, your job is not to be a spiritually deadbeat dad, right? Be there for everything, but have no impact on them spiritually. No, your job as a father is to raise your kids to love Jesus, to love your wife, help her know Jesus. So that's one model. That's a primary place. I've heard a lot of people say that's the only place discipleship should happen, and I just totally disagree. Jesus didn't do it in the family, right? Jesus did it with some 30-year-old men, some 20-year-old men. He invested his life in men who, who didn't have that. Um, Jesus took, obviously, he taught the crowds. He taught big groups. But he had 12 guys that he invested his life in. He literally poured out his life completely unto death. And Jesus invested in 12, and then really he had three, right? Now, I don't know if we're like Jesus. I don't know if we're capable of that. Maybe we are. 12 seems like a lot. Maybe 12 in a lifetime. I don't, I don't think I could disciple 12 guys, but I, could, I can take a few. I can take some guys that don't have spiritually uh, fit dads. I can take some guys who, man, are just close with friends. We went to high school together or whatever. Right? That's Jesus' model. Was looking around, who is it that I can invest in? Who didn't get it from their family? I think the other model scripturally is, is, is three characters, Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy. So we know Paul, um, great missionary, wrote most of the New Testament, plants churches. He's all over the place. But he never did it by himself, right? He always had... A partner, and sometimes it was Silas, sometimes it was Barnabas, sometimes it was others. But Barnabas, right? His name means son of encouragement. And so Barnabas was there. Barnabas, the same, same stage of life as Paul, going through the same stuff. And his role in Paul's ministry, although he never writes a letter, he never gets credit all that much, his role was to be a peer, to help um, encourage Paul when he was going through things, right? So you got Paul. And Barnabas, same level, encouraging one another, friendship, right? But then Paul sees Timothy, young man without a dad, but he's got potential. Spiritually, he's, he's aware of what God's doing, and he invests his life in Timothy, and he sends Timothy out to go plant churches, to pastor, to all, do all these sorts of things. So it's this picture, right, of the older, more mature pouring into the younger so they can go do the same things. But you also have to have... Um, I guess, peer-type relationships, right? So who's your Paul in your life? Who are you looking to? Who are you, who are you man, I want to be a father like him. 
Man, I want to be, be a dad like him. Man, I, I want to I do business like that man. I want to I live a life worthy like him or her. Who's your Paul? Who's your Barnabas? Who is it that's in the same fight as you, same stage of life, that you're doing life together, you're, you're helping each other, you're, you're encouraging one another? And who's your Timothy? Who's a little bit behind you? Who's, who's not quite as mature in the faith and needs someone to invest in their life? You need all three. You need a Paul, you need a Barnabas, you need a Timothy, but you also need to be a Paul. You need to be a Barnabas, and you need to be a Timothy. This is the beauty of the body of Christ, is we don't always have an ideal situation where we were discipled from, from, from kids all the way on. The body of Christ fills in. See, this is what discipleship is. It's not complicated. It's being intentional. That's really it. It's being intentional about friendships, being intentional about seeing people around you, being intentional with your kids, being intentional with your wife, helping them to know God better. Mark Dever says it this way. He says, discipleship happens over weeknight desserts or Saturday morning breakfast while folding laundry or taking trips to the grocery store. It happens sitting over coffee and resting from building a house. It happens in living rooms, offices, sidewalks, and shopping malls. The where and the when isn't so important. What is important is the doing of discipling. See, my prayer is that our, our, our church, this body of believers, not this building, not this 501c3 organization, but this, this group of people, this church that's connected, that we would not just have just friendship, just casual relationship, but that we would have deep, meaningful relationships between one another, older helping the younger, more mature helping the more immature, so that the individual parts would grow, the relationships would be strong, and our body would grow. Not so that we get recognition, but so that more people would know Christ, so that more people would understand what Jesus has done for them, right? That's what we need, a culture. Like, we're not starting some program. We're not starting, hey, sign up if you want to be in discipleship. No, just do it. Find somebody older. Find somebody younger to invest in. If we don't have a culture of that, our church will not continue. Because what Jesus has charged us with is to be people who are disciples, who are making disciples. Let me pray for us. If you would, stand with me. God, I pray uh, more than anything, God, that you would uh, move our hearts, God, to be obedient to you whatever the circumstances of our life may be. God, I pray that we would um, not be a hindrance to others in the body. I pray that we wouldn't keep others from growing in their relationship with Christ. God, I pray that we would be obedient. God, I pray that you would create a culture of discipleship here, God, a culture of individual parts helping other parts so that the whole church grows, so that the whole body is healthy. God, may we be a place um, that's not just inwardly focused. I know that's been our conversation today, a place that's focused on us. God, I pray that we would also be disciple makers outside of here, seeing people come to you, seeing people understand the gospel for the first time, seeing people baptized, seeing people redeemed out of broken situations and out of addictions and all those sorts of things. God, may, may you raise up this church, God, to be what you desire it to be in Huntington, Texas, and may we not stand in the way of that, God. May this place be a place of disciple makers, people who love you and want to love others, God. 
And we need you today, and we pray that you would be present in our lives, God. God, provide friendship, provide opportunities for intentional relationship this week. God, we love you and we need you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. His love that came for us, humble to a sinner's cross. You broke my shame and sinfulness. You rose again, victorious. Faithfulness none can deny through the storm.
amen and amen. Thank you, Byron. Um, we're going to receive our offering at this time. So if our ushers will come forward. Brother George, would you come lead us in prayer? Yes. I'll get emotional when I talk to Jesus. <clears throat> I come to you today, Lord, with the hurt heart. Not so much really that my heart is hurt, but uh, I hurt for others around me. Uh, people who's joined this church with their children and... Uh, not among us. I ask today that you please go in and fight the devil. You slave like I know you can. I thank you so much for what you've done for this church, my family, and the church body. And I try not to ask you for much. But I know and I've been taught that if I ask you from my heart and I'm truthful and sincere about what I ask for, you can make it happen. So I ask you to please help those who are not a part of us today. Watch over them. Guide them. And uh, what I'm supposed to be up here for is to bless the offering. And I do bless that. I ask you to bless it on me. Please show me the way, God, and give me strength. Thank you for your many blessings, and uh, thank you for the church. So blessed by you. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen.